Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Oh, today do we have a story for you, a story of power. Uh, we're going to be at 1 Kings 18, 20 to 40. Yes. Good. You're welcome. Large print Bibles. You're welcome. Uh, our smoke alarm was tweeting last night. Of course, you know when it tweets, right, at 2 in the morning. The battery needed to be changed. <laughs> and I realized I had to make an eye doctor appointment because I could not see the positive and negative. And I, I have uh, progressive, so I'm moving my glasses up to see it. Oh, I thought, well, I better call the doctor. But yes, you're welcome. So, so in our prayer life, we, we, know, we know to pray for ourselves. We know to pray for others. We've learned over the weeks that we should also be praying for our spiritual health and our spiritual nourishment. Uh, I wonder, however, how many times do we pray for the power of God to be revealed in a given moment? Right? Probably rarely. And today we're going to get an example of that. By the way, there's New Testament examples as well. Uh, but to me, this is one of the most powerful examples because in some sense, uh, some of you may read this and say, boy, this reminds me a little bit of where we are today in our culture, in our society. And we've been praying uh, I pray often for our society and our culture and for the spirit of the living God to rule over the hearts and minds of our people. After today, maybe I have to adjust the prayer and say, rain your power from heaven down on the lives of the people. Not in a, I'm not asking for God to smite anybody. Although, a few people I could think of, maybe, right? If I really thought about it. No, I mean a transformational powerful moment from God upon his people. So, before we read 1 Kings uh, and hear about this great event uh, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, I think it's helpful to remind you of the history of how Elijah got here. Right? Is any, we can do this corporately, or I can just tell you. Anyone, anyone know who the king is at this time? Who the king... It's Ahab. It's Ahab. And is Ahab a good king or is he a bad king? He's a bad king. In fact, he's a very bad king. <laughs> scripture tells us. Uh, in fact, Scripture would say he's the worst of the kings. Uh, so if you remember years ago when we did the story, uh, we had a whole series of bad kings in Israel. But Ahab gets the distinction of being worst of all. So Ahab ruled the northern kingdom of Israel for 22 years. That's a significant time to be ruler of a land, right? Uh, he is known as having done evil in the sight of the Lord more than any other Israelite king before him. For two specific reasons, he's known for this. Anyone know why? One, who he married... Jezebel, and two, what he permitted, which was the worship of Baal. So uh, primarily, Scripture would say, uh, because Ahab permitted Jezebel's gods to be worshipped in Israel, that was the downfall of his reign as king. Ba By the way, when you research Baal, the gods, the Baal gods, you'll get a whole host of things uh, because they meant different things to different people. Here in First Kings, the, the the prophets of Baal would say that at the, that moment in history, uh, that Baal was the uh, was the god of rain, the god of dew, right? Dew. 
and the God of fertility. These will be important to remember. Uh, the storm God, if you will. So now, here you have a king who marries, some would suggest, a not-so-good queen. In fact, a pretty brutal queen, who, uh, who he then appeases by allowing her gods to be worshipped alongside his god. Well, friends, what's the fundamental problem with that? Israel has one God, and, and they follow a strict guideline of commandments. Where the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And here is the king of Israel, and let's remember the king's purpose, right? The king is charged with seeing that the people were faithful to the covenantal law that God had provided for them. Don't think of the king of Israel uh, only as some secular king who is making sure the trash was picked up on Wednesdays. By the way, we got home from New York and we must have lost power because our freezer in the, in the garage went off. And it stinks bad. We're like, what is that smell? And so we had to throw everything out that was in it. And then this morning, I'm realizing, today's Wednesday. Because you know when you're away, you kind of forget. <laughs> today's Wednesday. We have to take that garbage out because it stinks, right? Tangent. That is not Ahab's job. <laughs> See how I got back to that, Mike? Bam. Right back to it. Ahab's job is to make sure the people of God follow the covenantal law of God. And now you have... The king not following the covenantal law of God. By the way, this is basic leadership 101, right? When, when the leader is not leading, people do not follow. Or when the leader is leading astray, people go astray. And, and by the way, it's a good reminder to us that what we should be seeking in our leaders right, is people who are striving to honor God, I would say. The prophet has a different role. The prophet was responsible for keeping the king accountable, right? We, we, could, use, we could use some prophets today, right? By the way, I would suggest there probably are prophets. It's biblical. There is the gift of prophecy. Are we... Listening for it, right? So, so the king, and by the way, if you go back to the history, God never wanted a king. Who's the king of Israel? God. The people need a king. So God, out of grace for the people, allowed Saul to be the first king. Didn't work out too great. <laughs> um, and, and therefore, the king has a very specific role. And if you recall, if you go back and look at God establishing the kingdom for Israel, he actually prophesies there that the responsibility for the people of God will be placed upon the king. So whatever the people are doing, that's the responsibility of the king. So the prophet needs to come along and say, hey, you're doing a great job or you're not doing so well. So last week we talked about David and Bathsheba, and Nathan has to come and say, you've messed up. And, of course, David responds the way we should at those times. Um, we talked about Ahab talk, talk, marrying Jezebel. So Elijah is sent to declare to Ahab that because of his disobedience to God, now this is what's really fascinating. This is all prior to what we're going to read today. Um, Elijah goes to Ahab and says, you've been dis you met how awkward that must be. Like, hey, listen, uh, this is going to be hard to hear. <laughs> uh, don't kill me, uh, which Elijah is nervous about. Uh, but you've been disobedient to God, and therefore um, he is going to do what? He's going to send a drought on the land. Ironic, isn't it? 
you're worshiping the God of the rain and the dew. So God's going to declare to you who God really is. Interesting. Before we even get to Elijah and the, and the, the rain of fire from heaven, God has already answered the, the, the challenge. You're, you're worshiping dew and rain. Guess what? There will be none. Done. Isn't this the same as uh, the miracles that Moses did that basically challenged all the Egyptian gods? It's the same thing. As, actually, it's, it's a kindness. He's saying, okay, you were worried about the rain. It's my rain, yeah. not that statue. Yeah, exactly right. And John, the, the cherry on top of that is Christ, right? Your God lit. Let's pretend you all believe in other gods for a moment, right? Your God lives, ours will die. Ours will die while yours lives. Oh, and by the way, he'll live again. What happens when yours dies? Right? It's, it's a direct challenge to their sovereignty. Uh, and that, to me, whenever the, the top answer, whenever, one says, whenever anyone says to me, well, what makes Christianity so unique to all the other religions of the world? Because, frankly, there are basic tenets of all religions that, that do coincide. But what makes Christianity number one, first of all, unique, is that our God dies and rises again. Our God provides the path of salvation where the others don't. Jim? Maybe King Ahab was ahead of his time and he was following the concept of separation of church and state. <laughs> Maybe he was. It doesn't pan out for him too well, <laughs> but maybe he was. So, uh, the drought is caused by Ahab's disobedience. But what does Ahab do? Ahab blames Elijah. Ahab sends out notice to say, you know why it's not raining anymore? That guy right there. Point of view, Mike. You're, you are Elijah today, right? I'll be Ahab. I didn't do anything. I'm not taking responsibility for that. I'm not wrong. I'm the king. It's his fault. So, people are not so happy with Elijah, right? Um, and again, so before Elijah even shows the power of God, God is showing that power. Uh, so, what does Elijah do? He says, okay, you want to have this conversation? Let's have a public discourse about it. You call all the prophets of Baal. You call all the prophets of Baal and we'll meet at Mount Carmel. Mm, it's delicious there, just so you know, right? Uh, which, by the way, at the time was known as the highest peak. Uh, it was known for its fertility. Uh, it was no, meaning the fertility of the land. It was known for... Um, uh, being a beautiful area, and maybe you didn't know, it's also known as a sacred site for Baal worship. Gosh, I love this text so much, right? So Elijah says, "Oh, all right, you can. You want to blame my words? You want to blame me? Blame me. Let's see who's." God is really God. Let's see who's really doing this. In fact, I'll give you all the advantages. You call all your prophets. We're going to find out it's hundreds. And it'll just be them versus just me. We'll go to your site of worship, your most sacred site of worship, that is beautiful and fertile. And we'll see what your gods do versus what my God does. So this is the setup now for our text. As a little visual for you, I found this uh, found this from the, uh, well, I go on Google Images, but this is from the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. So uh, forgive me, it was the best picture I could find. All right, so um, there they are. <laughs> um, so you, you see, this is a visual of what's about to happen. I'm going to read it to you. You can read along. A little lengthy, but it is jam-packed good, all right? 1 Kings 18, 20 to 40. You want to be listening for what reaches out to you, 
All right? Oh, thank you, Lord. I need some light. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Usually a smart thing to do, right? (laughs) Just keep quiet for a moment. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let, a, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God. I will call upon the name of my Lord. The Lord, I will call, I'm sorry, I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep. And must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. And there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two says of seed. And he put the wood in he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars of water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench as with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Mm. Oops. (laughs) We'll talk about why that happened. Don't you love it? Not the slaughtering necessarily, but the other pieces of it. What spoke to you? John? And then Carolyn? I have a question, actually. I've always understood that where the people are saying the Lord, he is God, that when you say that in the original Hebrew, it sounds like Elijah's name. Hmm. Eliyah. It could. 
So it's I, like I have to look. sports stadium thing of Elijah, Elijah. Right. It's Elijah. God's being, he's saying something to Elijah as well as he's weaving it all together. But right. That is, that is kind of what his name means. Yeah. Uh, listen, I took Hebrew a long time ago. <laughs> and I wasn't great at it, to be fair. Um, I can look. I, I'd love to know that because it would be uh, it'd be an interesting play on words, right? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, to John's point, what is what is Elijah's point? It's God working through him to reveal His glory, and that this is where we're getting. In that, the same happens today. God works through His people. So his glory is revealed. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Carolyn. You asked what, uh, it yes. jump out or push. Well, Elijah was confident that uh, God was on his side, and he gave the Baal worshipers uh, the first option to succeed before he proceeded to yes. show where the real yeah. truth was. Right. Uh, thank you for saying that word, because uh, I... I wrestle with that, right? Um, even thinking about doing something like that today, right? Let's go down to Colonial Williamsburg and make an altar for the Lord. And already doubt seeps into to my mind and my heart, right? But, but Elijah has this sheer confidence that what he does will prevail. Now, what we, what we learn from that text is that he's doing what God has told him to do. And that's something else for us to consider. So as disciples of Christ, um, who should call upon the power of God, are we fully aware of what God has called us to do and how we're to be as the people of God? And that's our journey, right? That's part of the journey of being a disciple. Part of the journey of following Christ, which is, who does he say I should be? And what does he say I should do? And am I living that? And I would suggest when we are living in that, we do build up a confidence of faith in who God is. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but our ultimate, our ultimate moment here is the cross. And, and so we, we would continually go back to the cross and say... Um, look at this miracle that occurred. God has spoken for all eternity here. Um, but as Christians, I would like to think that in a, in, a, in a modern day when we are becoming a little bit deflated because of, our, because of Christian standing in the world, when we're becoming a little more deflated because of Christian standing in our Americana culture, um, what do I want to win? Being deflated or being confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I want, I want confidence to prevail, uh, and yet often it doesn't. I want to be like Elijah. I want to be setting up wood and kind of laughing to myself, going, wait till they see this, you know. <laughs> you know uh, but not, I'm not sure we're always there. One way we would say that we get there is doing what you're doing today digesting this and knowing this and being a part of it in the faith community and all. Somebody else, what spoke to you? Don't be shy. Mike, or should I say, Elijah. I just thought it interesting um, when uh, the burnt offering did not light up, but people were weeping and wailing, stabbing. And, yeah. and they finally, finally they gave up and everybody walked away. They yeah. said, okay, that ain't going to work, so let's, let's quit. Right. No, no faith, no, no hanging in there. Yeah, give us, no one says give us another day, right? <laughs> uh, and yet, what would be interesting to know, and we don't know, um, is did they lose faith in their God or did they, or what did they believe? Did they believe that he was doing some of the things Elijah was saying? Right, um, and did they did they doubt that Elijah would be able to do what he did? Probably, right. Um, but one might argue we don't know this, but one might argue did they start with the same confidence? But as it 
you know, deteriorated <laughs> as nothing happened, right? No one else? Yeah, Greg. I think it's interesting that Elijah, he he almost taunts them with this this presentation and, and and all that. And I think that there's something about human nature in that that you see because he wants to make sure that they have no opportunity to disbelieve what he's confident that's going to take place. But at the time when, when they do this, with without that kind of reinforcement, a lot of the people would say, okay, it's smoke and mirrors, it's done by some other means or this and that and the other. So he does this taunting in a manner to ensure that it's believable, but at the same time with the knowledge that the people aren't going to accept it just by matter of seeing it either. Yeah, fair enough. I, if Bill Harmon were in charge, I would eliminate the taunting. I don't think it's necessary, Right. Um, I think the power of God speaks for itself. And I'm particularly sensitive to that in a very negative society today where we, uh, I saw a great line. It's, uh, it's called um, Social Media Courage. Uh, and it's, a guy wrote an article about social media courage. That social media has provided, his, his idea is a negative courage for people to say whatever they want to say that they may not say the same way like this, right? So a 21st century shepherd would say, I don't love the taunting in a society that taunts, right? Uh, I'd, rather go, I'd rather them just see the power of God and go, speak for yourself. However, what you're, yes, in addition to what you said, what is also unique? What is the taunting Elijah is certainly trying to share something about their God different from his God in the taunting. Can you figure it out? What does he say? He says, He says, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or he's asleep and must be awakened. Cry aloud. Yeah, Linda. It makes their God seem like he's human. And not exactly. Human. He's fallible, right? And, um, and my God isn't, right? And so your God must be doing things that we do because he's not as powerful as my God. He's clearly giving them, the mockery is defining their God for them, right? Um, so with that in mind, uh, let's go to verses 20 and start with verse 20 again. There's some really neat, there's wonderful treasures in here that I don't want to have overshadowed by uh, this great event of fire coming down from heaven. Jim, yes, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. I was just noticing at the beginning of verse 20, it said, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets. So there were a lot of people there, yeah. probably on both sides. Absolutely. And then uh, over in... Uh, Verse 39, after the fire comes down and consumes the uh, Elijah's um, bull, says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So the people got it, but the prophets of Baal and Ahab didn't get it. No, well, even if the prophets of Baal did, they don't live long enough to get to really live in it. Uh, but no, we don't see a great change. Ahab's always got problems, right? Um, there's no doubt about that. One might argue that Elijah's purpose um, was achieved by the most amount of people seeing the power of God. And there, there's some, I hate to use the word encouragement there, but um, I don't mind telling you that I want everyone to know the love of Jesus. And, and I don't mind telling you that I'm disappointed, um, often in myself, when I see someone who doesn't necessarily grasp it. And 
yet the truth is, all throughout Scripture, not everyone does. And I don't rest on that to be like, well, okay, they, no, they didn't all get someone either. But it, does, it doesn't mean I don't stop preaching, right? Uh, but at the same time, um, there comes a point where you have, pastorally, where you have to say, um, I've given every effort I can here, right? You know, so, or, and, and I don't, when I say pastorally, I should say, um, I shouldn't say that. I should say, as a priesthood of the believers, right? We all have that. We all have friends and family and neighbors that we feel that we have done everything we can to give witness to the gospel. And there comes a point where you have to say, Lord, I commend them to your hands, you know, until a time that you give me more opportunity to do it, you know. Carol. Um, I just happened to find a bookmark in my Bible, and it's the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And when you really look, the first three commandments out of ten yeah. are committed to how we should look at God and what place he has in history, in us, and the world. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And some would say that um, those three uh, are, the, are the main actors of the commandments, and the other seven are the supporting actors. So, uh, or to say it in a theological way, using Lutheran jargon, uh, the first three are the justification area, and the rest are sanctification. So if you have no other gods but you, if you are not using the Lord's name in vain, and if you're remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, which, by the way, does not mean resting and taking the day off, it means worshiping in the rest of God, then you will be empowered to not murder, <laughs> not covet, not steal, to honor your mother and father, those kinds of things, right? All right, so what's it? let's go into this. Right from, and Jim got us there, right from 20 and 21, I find this interesting. What, what is Elijah's point here? Elijah is, you can't have two masters. Very biblical, by the way. You, you, Jesus would say you can't serve God and money, right? Here, Elijah is saying, you can't serve God and Baal. So if you're going to worship Baal, worship Baal. Now, I don't think that he wants that, just so you know. But you can see what, he, you can see what he's saying. Stop, stop telling this line. But if you're going to worship the God of gods and the King of kings, you give your whole self to him. I think that's Elijah's ultimate point. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no middle ground. Karin. I would think at this point, these people are confused with the leadership message. So Ahab should be the man of God, and now he's married a woman with many gods. Yeah. And he wants to please her. She, I don't think, really cares. Is this the story also where more women come in that are not Israelites and infiltrate yes. the Jews? Yes. Yes. So, again, this is a leadership issue, right? And all the more reason to gather the people of Israel together and so they can see this great show and hear this. That's why this message is important. I know what you're seeing. Oh, I may have. You're Elijah. I know what you're seeing in me. Is I know what Mike is saying. I know what you're seeing in Ahab. Uh, but I'm telling you as the prophet, it's either him or them. You got to choose one. That's what we're doing today, people. That's what we're doing. That's what Elijah's saying. It's either him or them. And, of course, he's resting on the command of God. The, he's, giving, he's giving the option that is an option. <laughs> because Elijah knows there are no other gods. So then you go to 2022. 20, then Elijah said to the people, I, I even only am left prophet of the Lord, but Baal has 450. Let's bring two bulls. Uh, choose one for yourselves, lay it on wood. I'll prepare, you prepare, but don't put any fire on it, 24. And you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of my God. And the God who answers, he is God. So Elijah prepares this test. Um, by the way, which is in a, the way he's doing it, we see Aaron do in Leviticus 9, 23 24. He's, he's showing a burnt offering. So the, the idea of a burnt offering is... What I'm trying to say to you is nothing new. It's, it's part of the Levitical culture, the priestly culture of the people. 
So if you go back and read Leviticus 9, uh, Aubrey, uh, Moses and it, all of 9 is setting up how to do burnt offerings. And they do a burnt offering. And at the end of verse 9, 23 to 24 in Leviticus, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. So that's an important piece because we see that happen again here. Remember, God does not need their offerings. They need to give offerings. As part of their spiritual health, as part of their spiritual journey, God permits this to happen for that, for their spiritual sake. So in the tent of meeting is usually where God speaks to Moses. Um, and God reveals himself by coming down on the altar uh, in the form of fire and taking the sacrifice. And the power of God uh, takes it all up, and the people rejoice in that moment, right? By the way, we see fire three times. Uh, we see fire at the birth of Samson was announced um, in Judges 13. When uh, Solomon dedicates the temple in Second Chronicles seven, and here with Elijah, okay. In all the case, in all these cases, the power of God uh, moves the people to worship Him. And as we saw in Leviticus nine, not only are they moved to worship Him, what do they do? They shout. They cry aloud. Now, I'm this. I don't mean I'm poking fun of us, at us a little bit, so don't take me too seriously here, but. Um, I think if we ever did a study of worship in Scripture, we would be uncomfortable with it and how we worship here. And how we worship here is good, right? But there's lots of shouting and hand clapping and uh, tambourines, right? Um, it's not all 15th century <laughs> uh, worship. That's, why, that's, by the way, why it's hard. And most church bodies refrain from really defining what true worship is, ultimately what's true worship bowing your face before God and giving him all the glory and honor. And by the way, if we do that by singing, holy, oh, then that's our shouting and that's acceptable, right? So I'm just poking fun at us, at us a little bit. But can you imagine, remember, remember uh, David going in uh, naked one time? That would be awkward, right? There's, there's, there's things we wouldn't want to do here anymore um, as we go along. However, I do think there's something interesting for us to consider. The presence of God is greeted with a, sh with a shout, not with silence. And again, look, our own liturgy um, satisfies that, right? Uh, when, when we begin our worship, what do we do? We sing. Um, when we uh, receive the absolution of God, what do we do? We sing with a shout, right? I mean, our version of shouting. So... Uh, Take it out of church for a moment and just say this. When you're in the presence of God, I'm going to use it uh, in a different way. When we're in the presence of God, we can't help but speak. Something's going to come forth from us. It's an important aspect of our lives, right? All right, so 25 to 29, what happens? Elijah said to the prophets, hey, listen, you go first. This is your mountain. This is your holy place. You've got more prophets. You go first. By the way, that's the advantage, isn't it? Because if fire comes down when they go, well, they, they could stop it there and say, see, our God is God. You said who's ever God brought fire, ours brought fire, no need for you to go. So he gives them the full advantage of winning the argument. Uh, you call upon the name of your God, but don't put fire on it. Uh, and uh, they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal. Um, oh, Baal, answer us. Uh, but there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar. Uh, I wonder what that looked like, right? <laughs> Why they were limping? They stubbed their toe or something? I don't know. Um, but my guess it's like a homage, like, oh, Baal, you know, Baal, listen to us. Um, so what, what do we learn here that may be overlooked? After several hours, Elijah steps in and says, Boy, 
must be sleeping. Must be at the bathroom, right? Um, cry louder. Um, so, so what do they do? They double down. They cry louder, and they start cutting themselves. They start offering their own blood, which was part of their custom, uh, and um, yet no one answers as well. So uh, amidst their ritual, uh, Elijah, in taunting them, um, to me, my favorite is maybe he's too busy for you, <laughs> right? Um, this is different, by the way, and I, I'm purposely sharing this with you. Um, I, I don't want you to think that taunt, you know, I'm, I don't like this, so I'm going to give it defended a different way. There are other examples when the peop- when the servants of God are brought before people and they are not taunted, right? And there's a, there's a clear distinction that I think we're going to not like. Paul goes into Athens, a, a city full of unbelievers who had multiple gods, and he doesn't taunt them. Rather, he uses their unbelief to his advantage because he uses their knowledge. Because they're unsure, they have a statue to the unknown God. He doesn't say, oh, bring all your gods together and I'll show you that my God's better than your God. No, he says, let me show you who this unknown God is. Right? Um, so, I, to me, one of the distinctions here is you have a king in defiance who needs to be corrected. Uh, one who should believe versus an unbeliever. And this is something that we often do in Christendom that I think we have to be cautious of. Is that we often assume um, that the whole scriptures um, should be affecting non-believers. Oftentimes, the scriptures are written for the believer, right? When you read the epistles, he's talking to believers. There's information in there of how to engage non-believers. But I I find sometimes that our bar is so high for an unbeliever, right? Um, That, uh, you know, so when, when Jesus goes to the woman at the well... He doesn't taunt her, and nor does he say, well, I'll talk to you after you believe and confess all these things. No, the first introduction is, hey, let's have a conversation. That's different from someone who should know. The reason why Paul is so hard on the Corinthians is because they they have a knowledge of faith. And they are manipulating that faith to their own personal lives. That deserves correction. That, that deserves a discipline, if you will. right? So there is a distinction between the two. And I mean this as an encouragement. So you, if you are engaging someone who doesn't believe or who is doubting in faith, it may not be the best approach to be throwing at them all the rules and regulations of Scripture. That comes as you become a disciple of Christ. That comes as part of your transformation. My suggestion to you for the approach is let me tell you why this matters to me let me show you how this let me show you that power in my life you with me and as you see this power by the way we know this we know this from our own lives as we know the power of jesus christ our lives will begin to shape and conform to his will if not we don't know the power of jesus christ in our lives see how it works all right i'm running out of time so let me continue Um, so what does Elijah do? He makes his altar, gives props to the 12 tribes of Israel. He throws some water on it. Not once, not twice, but three times. Great biblical number, three. Uh, and then I think what's important here is his prayer. His prayer is, you are God. I am your servant. Show them. He asked God to answer him so that all would know that the Lord was uh, ever anxious for the repentance and return of them to him. 
That's foundationally important here. He does not want fire to rain down to heaven to rub it in their faces. He doesn't want fire to rain down from heaven to show that he's more right and they're more wrong. He wants fire to come down to heaven from heaven so that they will know he's God and repent and return. Repent and return. That's what God wants. So what is the what's the answer? God answers generously. Did you notice that? Not only does the fire consume the wood and the sacrifice, the fire consumes the stones and the soil and the water and all the surrounding area. What does God do? He does what he always does. He answers with far more than we can imagine or think. And and then what's the response? The people fall to their knees and worship God. The prophets of Baal, they get a little Disney vacation. Uh, No, they get taken uh, and uh, they are killed. In line with Deuteronomy 7, 2 to 6. I know we don't like this, but they have led the people astray. And therefore, in the Old Testament, pre-cross, pre-tomb is empty, this is how it was handled, right? I know, I know we don't like that in the 21st century. Stop thinking like a 21st century person. <laughs> so, what would happen if in our prayer life, that became part of our prayer? Today, we acknowledge you to be Lord. By the way, we do that in the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. Uh, we acknowledge that we are your servants. Sometimes that we forget that. Lord, use me today so that some will know that you are God. Maybe say it a different way. Use me today so that someone may repent and return to you. Lord, show some sign today so that your power would reign in the hearts of all people. I think those are worthy prayers. Those are good prayers to have. Right? Not, Lord, show that we're more right and they're more wrong. Not, Lord, show that that I'm right so I can rub it in their faces. Lord, show that I'm right so that I can hide in my church and their churches will close. Right? That's not what we're looking for. Lord, you're God and we want everyone to know it. I'm your servant and I don't mind people knowing it. Rain down from heaven so that all would know the power of your love. And by doing that, be transformed. I hope, as disciples of Christ, I hope as believers of Jesus, you are daily praying for the salvation of every soul on this planet. Because that's what we want. Even the people we don't like. (laughs) That's our role. So, Karn, you have to be quick. That's me, Karn, quick. Um... (laughs) I see Elijah as a man who is so confident in his God and so confident that he hears him that he even makes his fire harder to burn. Yeah. But he's only asking God to be there and show that he is God. Exactly right. And, that, and what a great prayer for us. Lord, reveal that you are God and open the hearts of people to know that, right? And if it takes a miraculous event, then let it be a miraculous event. Maybe said another way, and bear with me when I say this, I don't want your greatest moment of courage of your faith to be on your deathbed. I want your greatest courage of faith to be today. I want mine to be today, right? Um, and the reason I say that is I'm with a lot of people when they're in their last moments of life. And by the way, m- most of the time I'm with them, they have a sense of peace of what they know and where they're going. And I walk away from that and go, Lord, I, I want that, right? But I want that today, not just then. And we got to, that's what we're trying to do here at King of Glory, by the way. We're trying to help you as disciples have that today, not only then, right? Uh, Cynthia Wilner's father passed away. 
So we pray for Cynthia Wilner. Um, my brother-in-law went back to work on Monday. Who had cancer, right? He went back to work, praise God. Uh, but my uncle, they found out that he has uh, brain cancer. So we pray for him. He's been having some memory issues, and I think they went to see about that. And I'd be interested to know if it's the tumor in the brain that's actually causing this and not Alzheimer's or something like that. So uh, his name is Marty. Um, we can pray for him. That would be great. Um, lots of kids. Jack went back to school. Lots of kids going to school, college this week. So we pray for our college kids as they go back. And um, Gail started back today. They were a little lunchbox. <laughs> go to school. Go to first grade, Gail. <laughs> That's what she's teaching this year. So, Oh, by the way, she texted me um, at their faculty meeting today. The principal thanked King of Glory for the meal program that we've been doing. I thought that was nice of him to do. We've been providing, um, last year we provided snacks for children who don't have any snacks. Right in the lower grades, they can bring a snack in, but some kids don't have one, so they can go to the nurse. The teachers can go to the nurse and get snacks from King of Glory. Isn't that great? So, all right, I've kept you over. Lord, we praise you and thank you for who you are and who you've made us to be. We pray today for those in our prayer guide. We pray for this Christian mission station. We pray, Lord, for Cynthia and for Marty, uh, for all the kids going back to school and the teachers going back to school. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Elijah and his confidence of faith in you. We pray that you would give us that confidence, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. More than that, Lord, help us every day acknowledge that you are God and we are your servants. And we pray that you would use us or some other means to show the entire world that you are God and that by believing their hearts may be changed and they may follow you forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.